Are you I, out of your mind? Here's the debate. You're upset. They're saying we believe you. This is it? I thought, Gentlemen, we're live. All right, so folks, I've interviewed a lot of interesting people. Today, this man's fully qualified in uh, that category. William Roger Reeves, but we'll call him Roger. Highest paid drug pilot in history. Uh, worked with uh, uh, Pablo Escobar, Ochoa. Got arrested, did over 30 years in jail. In 26 different prisons, seven different countries, four different continents. And he escaped five times. There is some kind of a connection with uh, uh, a man named William. Uh, some call him Bill. Some call him William. But it's, it's, I think his name is William Bill Clinton Jefferson. in Arkansas. Yeah, it, we'll talk about him. We'll talk about the city uh, that they almost named the movie after the city, right? Mena. They almost named it. Uh, it, this, it, it was written as Mena. It Mena. was written as yeah. Mena, and yeah. then they changed it. And uh, uh, stories left and right reportedly was responsible for $5 billion worth of cocaine entering the United States. Um, some interesting opinions about Pablo, some interesting opinions about Ochoa at the time, Pablo being the seventh richest man in the world, but who was counting his money anyways? But uh, aside from that, I mean, listen, $50, 60000000 million of earnings in the 80s. Uh, there's a lot of stories I'm so curious to get into. With that being said... Roger Reeves, thank you so much for being a guest on the podcast. It's a pleasure. Thank you. And by the way, your voice is mm -hmm. insane. I can listen to that voice all day. It's a radio voice. It's a pleasure. You know, the way you speak, it's incredible. I'm from Iran, so my accent is a different yeah. kind of an accent. Yours is from Georgia. I prefer yours. Oh, <coughs> thank you. It's like classy, but also ready to party at any moment. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> yes, go. So, Let's go. So, babe. you know, you... you, you some of us wake up one day and we say, I want to go into real estate. Some wake up, they say, I want to be a cop. I want to be a bodybuilder. I want to be a financial advisor. I want to be a nurse. I want to be a doctor. Who wakes up and says, you know what? I want to be the highest paid drug pilot in history. How does that happen? It doesn't happen like that at all. So it's not like when you were a kid, you said, when I grow up, I want to be. Okay. I wanted to be a farmer. I wanted to, you know, have a big plantation yep. of tobacco. And, yep. and uh, then I... Uh, I started flying, and I wanted to be a missionary aviation fellowship pilot. I wanted to fly the missionaries in and out of the jungle. Seriously? Yes, seriously. That's why I learned to fly. Wow. And then Your you heart was always in the right place oh, is what absolutely. you're saying. I mean, I'm not a, a, a preacher, but I could fly those sick people in and out of the jungle and the missionaries and bring them their mail. And there was mm -hmm. a, 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 an H. Saint started it and uh, with a little plane, and he'd put a rope down and put the bucket and right at the missionaries' feet, and they'd put their – note in it and he'd put them some penicillin in it and then mail and bring it back out and they started that until they could cut out strips in the jungle wow. and i thought wow what kind of wonderful flying that would be and then later on in the first story of my book i tell when i was shot down over the amazon and i was 11 days and who rescued me except missionary aviation fellowship full <laughs> circle the, the pilot so yes did you did you like uh uh somehow meet a pastor that was smoking too much weed and snorting too much coke and then you got connected? Is that kind of how this happened? Not at all. I just read the book. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I'd like okay. to do that. Yeah. Jungle Pilots, the name of the book, a wonderful book. And they made the movie The Point of the Spear. Point of the Spear? Uh-huh. Interesting. And he was killed in, in Ecuador when he landed on a, on a sandbar with a, the Indian people. Wow. I'm assuming you've been to Ecuador as well. Yes. Yes. Beautiful place. Oh, Quito, wow. the Absolutely. people, the food, the music. Yes. 
So, so you're going, you're doing what you're doing, and then you become a, a pilot, and then somehow, some way, you get affiliated with these folks. It happened so gently. Let me just tell you how how Please. subtly these yeah. things can come about. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I had a farm in Georgia, and uh, I put in thirty six thousand laying chickens, and Purina promoted it. And the price of feed went up, and the price of eggs went down. Until every time I picked up a dozen eggs, I was making, uh, I was losing five cents, and I was losing the farm. So I started turning that chicken feed into moonshine whiskey, and I made a thousand gallons a week. And you can read where I got all they emptied their bullets at me, trying to kill me, and blew my steel up, and I lost lost everything. So when I quit running, I was in California. So I went to work into construction. Worked at that a couple of years, and then I got on the Redondo Beach Fire Department. <clears throat> and so I was on it five years. And, uh, oh, it was, it was a good job. It, took, it was hard to get on. It's like winning the lottery to get on it. But uh, I, I, I had a little painting crew, and I had bringing antiques from Missouri back and selling them, and I was making quite a bit of money. And uh, one day, I was reading a National Geographic magazine as I bumped across country with the guy, and it said mercury in Mexico was a dollar, and it was $13 in the United States. And I said, I should bring some of that back when I go down in my little airplane. He said, oh, man, you ought to bring some of that marijuana back. I said, I don't know nothing about it. I heard about the kids smoking it. He said, it's the hottest thing you've seen. This is what, what year this is this? Yeah, 1973. Okay. So I All says, the cool kids are smoking that marijuana. Yeah, just starting. Yeah. So I said, well, tell me about it. So he introduced me to a fellow. He said, you got an airplane? I said, yeah. And he said, would you be interested? I said, what do you pay? So he says, let me introduce you to somebody. So he called somebody, and a fellow came over and said, I'll give you $10,000. And I said, well, throw some of that hay in there. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's the nickname. I said, well, yeah, well, I mean, it looked like a little bit of hay to me in the back seat of my airplane. It wasn't no big deal. And I come mm-hmm. home and landed and give them the, their stuff, and they give me $10,000 in a bag, and I brought it home and shook it on the bed, and the baby got $100 bills and crawling around, and my wife put her hand over her mouth, and I said, let's go out to dinner. You know, let's Literally. celebrate. So then I said, wow, now that I don't know about that. That wasn't nothing. So I went to a lawyer, and I put $100 bill on his desk, and I said, Mr. Lawyer, what would happen to me if I got caught bringing some marijuana across the border in my plane? He said, what's your criminal history? I said, I've never had a speeding ticket, not even a parking ticket. He said, you work on the fire department? I said, yes, sir, I, I work on He said, man, you would get probation. At the very worst, you would get one year and spend four months raking leaves. So I thought, now that's the business for me. So I bought a Cessna 207 that would carry 1,100 pounds, and I'm making $40,000 when I want to go down. So I brought my mother out from Georgia to Disneyland and picked her up my new Cadillac and took her to Disneyland. She said, what you doing, boy? I said, I'm hauling pot, Mom. You told her? <laughs> yeah. And she said, how much you making? I said, I'm making $40,000 any day I want to go down there. She said, what do they do if they catch you? And I told her what the lawyer said. And I said, what do you think, Mom? She said, do you need a co-pilot, son? <laughs> 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 that makes all the sense in the world. That's that's so family values. Gave the the like mom's like go for it. Wow. Absolutely. Were you giving your mom money at this point? Uh, yes, I took care of my mother I was and, and say, all yeah. my family. Yes, how, I did. how, how different would it have been if, if mom said don't do it? 
how different would have been if she said you should it, do it? It wouldn't made any. Difference. It wouldn't have made a difference. No, God, if she no. would have said it or not, you would have done it anyway. Oh yeah, I was already, why do you yeah. ask that? Because <laughs> parenting, obviously. I'm just curious. I'm no. curious to know if if he was asking for confirmation or if he was asking for like I remember I was working at Bally's in Chatsworth and. Chatsworth at the time was 80% of porn. And a guy comes in with a pretty girl and they're sitting there saying, how much money do these guys pay you mm -hmm. per month? I said, they pay me you know, three, four grand a month. He says, how would you like to make that every weekend? I have no idea what he was talking about. Then he says, uh, uh, he says well, you, know, you look like you'd make a hell of an actor. I said, really? <laughs> You've never seen me act? He says, you just got the personality for it. I said, great. <laughs> Are they figuring me out in Hollywood? He said, yes. I like yes. the direction this is going. So uh, he says, uh, you know, you ever done adult films? I said, like like movies for adult people, like, you know, like Reddit R. He says, no, like adult adult. I said, what are you talking about? He says, porn. He said, no, I'm not going to do porn. He said, well, if you ever wanted to, we'd pay you four grand a movie. So I so go home. So after you did your first movie, what happened? Why well, I got paid four grand. No, no, no. But but I went home and I told my dad. I said, Dad, so let me tell you what happened to yeah. me today. And then I told my dad. My dad's like, if you ever do it, yeah, you can never call me your dad again. Really? I said, Dad, what are you going to say if your friends see this saying that's Gabriel's son? Think about it. If your older friends see this, they're going to say that's Gabriel's son. And wouldn't you be proud of that? He says, no, I, I don't want you that's to touch not, it. So no. That's the but, but you, it's you sought his counsel. No, I line. didn't. I was teasing oh, the gotcha. guy. Of course I was giving him a hard time. But <laughs> that's the story. So I was curious to know if there was yes. a conversation with mom to see what mom would say. So, okay, so he says... So she says, 40000 do you need a co-pilot? That's right. At any time, you can go and make forty k and come back. Right. So what do you do then? Just keep doing them. Keep doing them. I want to make $300,000 and go back to farm. And I got $300,000 right quick. Yeah, yeah. And my wife says, you must not remember like I do. All that heat and bugs and rattlesnakes yeah. hoeing and digging. <laughs> she didn't want to go back, so we stayed. Hmm. Stayed what? Stayed in California. In Redondo Beach? Yes, sir. Uh -huh. You didn't want to go back to... Uh, to Georgia. No, you don't want to do that. Okay. Your, your well, goal was 300000 is what you're saying. And you got the goal. Bam. And you said... Let's and how go. long did it take to get that? A couple of weeks? Months? I reckon two or three months, probably. Two or yeah. three months. So yeah. in three months, you reached your goal. Yes. And you just... The, the taste of all that money was too sweet to turn up? You know, turn up. It was just nothing. It was just like there was nothing between the United States and Mexico but a barbed wire fence. I mean, and you couldn't even find that. Just right. I flew across real low and it didn't matter. So just come in just one run after the other. So was there ever a goal to say, oh, babe, once we make this much money, I'll stop? Or was it just an, a full-on addiction to saying, next one, next one, next one, let's get some more? Because I knew you said $300,000 and I would stop. Yeah, well, I, I would have. I mean, okay. if I would have went to the farm, but then you're there and you're sitting there with an airplane. I'm still working on the fire department. I got f every four days off. I'd go down there and do it and come back. And it was just nothing. It was absolutely just, I'd go down and go fishing and and. And your fire department guys are not asking you. They're like, how did you, you get that Cadillac? Oh, yeah. They reported me. Oh, they did report you. So <laughs> oh, that's yeah, how it happened. Certainly. Well, that didn't, that didn't matter. <clears throat> on on uh, <clears throat> uh, late load 13, I had that little feeling in my stomach, like ding, ding, ding. This guy walked in. We had to land at a – I landed in a little 900-foot strip, if you could call it that, on the yeah. bend of a river in the sand. And, uh, and there was water coming through and a little waterfall and a river about knee-deep. And I'd go there and brush my teeth and take take fuel. They they had fuel and fill me up. And then a young fellow named Robert, uh, anyhow, a young fellow would get in the airplane with me, Pedro. And uh, we would go over to where where he would tell me to go on a highway, maybe 20, 30 miles away. And they had two trucks and machine guns on it. And I'd land between those trucks. And they had like a bucket brigade. They'd put the marijuana in the airplane. And I'd shake hands with all of them and take off. And there'd be 20 or 30 cars parked 
waiting and highway patrolman in there with no mm-hmm. no lights on and I'd take over that and go home and unload it. But on day thirteen on the morning, we got in the plane and, and pow! I thought a tire blew out and I looked and he said, "Policia, Roger, policia, policia!" And it dawned on me, but we only had four hundred feet from the end of the runway, and I because I'd parked down about halfway. Just at daylight, I just brushed my teeth into the river, and these men around there, and I just put it. was a Cessna 207, a big, big stretch Cessna. And when I got to the end of the runway, I just pulled it up, and when I did, there was four of them that just riddled that airplane with four AK-47. They put 80 bullet holes in it. Mm-hmm. Hit me across the top of my head, knocked my kneecap off, and the end of my toe. And then shot his foot nearly off. And so I thought, I mean— the wind windshields was all out, and they'd hit the tank up on the other side, and the gasoline was just gushing in on me. And <clears throat> they hit the uh, strut right by my head, and the spattered it all in my face. Hundreds of pieces of lead just spattered all over me, and I thought I was going to die. I really did. I thought I was going to burst into flames with all that gasoline. And I just pulled the power, and it went went to hit that river, and it looked like huge turtles the way the rocks were formed i remember mm-hmm. and when i hit the wings came off and the next time the nose came under the plane and and stopped in the water and i was knocked out he was shaking me roger come on roger come on so we jumped out and they were still shooting the plane and come on hit well on top of the uh, uh on top of the radio i had taped in a holster a nine millimeter you pistol. were ready no, I just had that in case I crashed somewhere. You would like to have something in the jungle. If you, I didn't. I didn't have it for people or nothing. Just had something, uh, kind of. I don't know. Just like a little yeah. survival kit. Yeah. Self defense. Yeah. So anyway, I, I took that sh- pistol and, sh- and they was running down the runway toward me, and I shot a few shots, popped a few caps, and they ran in the in the stones in the. It was big boulders everywhere, and we started running, and I saw that Pedro's foot was nearly shot off. I mean, it was just. a shot through the through the, and I took my t-shirt off and it wasn't even bleeding but it was just torn out I guess the stress and we went up the hill through the cactus and there was an old donkey Charlotte Charlotte and he caught that donkey and we got on and rode and rode till we came to a little house and and there was some people and they went for help we sat there all day long and uh that's that's a heck of a story I can finish it if you want me to and then what happened how'd you get out of it that all right I'll, I'll, so I'll yeah. finish it then so there was a little house and I, I see used little in a man plowing with a a cow and a and a ox, a cow and a little mule with a the harness over him, and he was plowing. And so Pedro talked to him, and they put us in the house, and they, the woman put uh, cloth and put diesel fuel all over us to keep the flies and the bugs off. And we sat there all day long. And about dark, about twenty horses and mules come into that yard. Click, click, click. And there was a doctor there, Doctor Benjamin Soso, and he got in there and he have a slug in my foot, and he was trying to find it, and he gave us morphine and, and shot us up and gave us tetanus shot and whatever. <clears throat> he said, "You got to get out of here. They they got roadblocks everywhere looking, and they think the Americans in here and dead because of all the blood that was in the plane." So they put us on mules and horses, and we rode to a road. Did we come to a to a dirt road, and there was a big truck. It was a ten wheeler, and it was loaded with corn in the ear. And uh, they dug holes in that corn, and all those Mexican guys got on there with the big hats and serapes, and <clears throat> I guess it was kind of cold. And we put us under the corn, and that truck would just, and and the corn would fall over us, and they kept pushing my face out. And we came finally to the highway, and they they uh, 
They got us out. Oh, we got stopped three times by. Did you pay these guys off? Or no, no, no they were just. So why just, would they help you? They just just wanted to be helpful. Oh yes, they just. Did they knew who you were though? Did they have yes, an idea who you were? Yes, they had to do they, because. But anyhow, they were wonderful people down got in Mexico. They were wonderful. Yeah. Just, they but they in. they knew you were on the run. Oh yes, people on the inside. They knew all. They that. knew you were on the inside yeah. with who? There's a Mexican cartel at this point. No, no, there was no such thing as that. It was just country folks, just farmers, and it was growing pot. And but these were just people just helping us. And that, that Dr. Benjamin Soso, but. They get, got a taxi for me to go to Guadalajara because they said they got all the roads blocked north. So they got a dwarf guy to come, and he had a new car. And he talked, and they propped me up with the, the pills and uh, uh, bandaged up, and they got some clothes for me. And I, I remember that night we talked all night long. And again, I, I said, do you have any children? Oh, si, senor, I have a beautiful wife and three boys. Let me tell you how I got my beautiful wife, Dora. He said, you see me. No girl would look at me. But there was a girl in the village that I had my eye on, and she was playing in a band. She was playing the flute at the back, and I grabbed her and pulled her into the yard, and my mother helped us get in the house. And I told her I love her, and we shit there all night, but she wouldn't look at us. And the next morning, senor, we had to let her go. So she went to her father, and she knocked on the door, and he said, get away from here, you prostitute. You've been away all night with some man. You're not a daughter of mine. And she walked away with her head down. And I said, Dora, let's go talk to the priest. And Senor, that's how I got mm, my, like my, my marriage. Wow. Well, I'm not through. Let me just, yeah. you, just, 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 just a little bit more. And he said, and then one year later, we had a beautiful baby boy. And I had a Ford. And we named him Ford. <laughs> and the next year, senor, you won't believe it, but we had a beautiful baby, another boy, and I had a Dodge, and we named him Dodge. <laughs> <laughs> and I know, senor, you won't believe this, but I three there years was no later, Teslas, though. three years yeah. later, we had another year boy, and I was driving a new Chevrolet, and that damn priest wouldn't name him Chevrolet. I had to teach him to drive to get him to name him Chevrolet, <laughs> and that's how I got my wow. three boys, Ford, Dodge, and Chevrolet. Unbelievable. <laughs> Can you imagine naming your kids after three cars? It's kind of like uh, four brothers, Dallas, Denver, and yeah. what was it? You yes. know? But, awesome. Uh, <clears throat> so, okay, so from there, you didn't get arrested. You didn't no, do time. Got away. So when was the first time you got arrested? At what point was the first time you, you got arrested? After I lost my airplane, I uh, hired a man to, to fly another airplane, and he came down, and I gave him $5,000 and told him to land it at a, a, a feedlot there south of Hermosilla. And he mistakenly landed at the international airport and tried to pay off. And he had my phony name in his pocket. And I was at the hotel, a nice hotel, and the guy, nice gentleman came over and arrested me, and they put me in jail there in Mazatlan in prison. And first time. That was first time, and it was a terrible time. Uh, they wanted me to confess, so there's beat a confession out of me. So is they, this the time they tortured you? This, yes. Uh -huh. Got it. This is the hot sauce story? Yeah. <laughs> this is the hot sauce story. Uh -huh. You may want to tell the audience your hot sauce story, because I know you're not a fan of hot sauce after no, this story. Uh, so, uh, yeah, first off, they, they duck your head into some seltzer water, until you just, and when you inhale, it just explodes your head. And then they beat you in... And after some days, and you, they could took other people out of the, and you could hear them beating and crying and, and beating them. And I was black and blue, but it was no more than in a, in a good fight you would have. It wouldn't bother me that bad. But they took me out naked and chained me up and buttered my bum. 
and then they filled it full of hot chili pepper. Holy moly. And I did talk ugly. <laughs> I, bet. I thought if I'll ever find you did, out. Did, did that ever, like every time you go to a restaurant and they say, would you like some hot sauce, did it completely mess with you for the rest of your life? Or? No, I'm good on the hot sauce. I, 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 leave it alone. Leave <laughs> it alone. No spicy but, food. But there's a little more to it. Then, then they hung a dead man in the cell with me. And it was just a little cell in July, and it was really hot. And uh, the man was frozen, and he was wrapped in strips of newspaper like a mummy. And uh, after a while, the formaldehyde started to melt, and it looked like he was crying, hanging on the meat hook, and he opened up so I could see his liver. And then the fluid started running out of him and went on the, went on the floor, and up. the place was not even six foot square. And I put my face under the door so I could breathe. And as I breathed the fresh air, I went to sleep. And then I'm also breathing that fluid that was in him. And I had pink flying pigs, so I know where Walt Disney got his ideas from. <laughs> <laughs> and when I came to, I didn't know which was real and which was a dream. So this this was the first time you were arrested. Yes. And all these stories are happening in Mexico. Yes. Correct? Right. Oh, yeah. So you haven't gotten in. involved in Colombia no, Escobar, at this point? For many years, I didn't get involved okay. in Colombia. So you're in jail. The hot sauce story. Yeah. The dead man in the cell. Are you this like right now? You're just like this happy-go-lucky, like zero percent. Do I feel drug smug, smuggler criminal vibe out of you whatsoever? It's very apparent how likable you are. Are do you have the same demeanor at that time of your life? Or oh no, I memorized his face and I was hoping to look him up one day. <laughs> so you're being was, serious? Oh, probably not. But yeah. I mean, you yeah. just you thinking that I, I'm I doing would. that to I'm you? Like, sure. No but you see what I'm about saying it. about his personality yeah. Yeah. now? You've interviewed countless amounts of. Yeah. Uh, let's just call them illegal entrepreneurs. Yeah. His personality is not very common for that type of profession. That's a strength, though. That's, that's a very big strength because you're, you know, when, when you're the guy that it comes across as being harmless, he couldn't mm-hmm. harm anybody. That's the most powerful guy in the room. Really? Oh, my God. Because Kaiser Soze type of thing? It's Kaiser Soze model. I'm listening to him. All I'm thinking about is usual suspect. Yeah, and all the stories. I'm like, where's he picking up? I'm looking behind me, thinking some of this stuff is coming. But obviously, you're a great storyteller, and you know that you're, you're a wonderful storyteller. But so at this point, has the jail time have these experiences? Ninety nine percent of people, if they had that hot sauce experience, the the the, the, the that you had not hot sauce. I keep saying hot sauce. The yeah. experience that you had, they're probably like, you know what, babe. I think I'm done. Yep. I'm going to go back to Redondo <laughs> exactly. Beach. Let's go back to, you know, and just kind of hang out. Why keep coming back to it, especially that close call? I don't know. It didn't. It, it didn't. You know, it, when it was out, the um, the the people that were, where I was shot down from yeah. the load, they I had paid them seventeen thousand dollars. So they gave the money after a month or so. I got the word out, and. Uh, my wife came down and was trying. Oh, oh, boy! I mean, she can tell the story about going between those cells and visiting me and the vis-a-vis day. That's <laughs> where you have the little shacks you can shack up with your with your woman in the courtyard. Oh my gosh! So she's just walking straight with her basket for food and them reaching each side with their hands out. Uh, but anyway, somebody come and paid the seventeen thousand dollars, and I was taken out the back door of the jail and put into a a brand new pickup with a horse's head on it and taken to the bank. And the banker told me, because he spoke English, that this Joaquin has paid them $17,000. Roberto, Roberto has paid somebody in a jail to get you out. Now, that that's paid for. <laughs> and so when I caught that airplane, it was the 4th of July, 1974. And when them wheels came up, I thought, I really did get yeah. out of there. 
at that time, how much money you have in the bank? How much cash you got in the bank? This is 74. Maybe half a million dollars. Half a million dollars. Yeah. 74, half a million dollars, like $4 million today. Yeah. $3 million. Yeah. It's real money Certainly. that you have. I, I could have retired. But, but, but did you, but I, this, this story was prompted based on when I asked you a question about the firefighters, the coworkers. I don't know where, what prompted you telling that story because what I was trying to find out is you're still a firefighter in Redondo Beach. Did the firefighters start realizing why is this guy pulling up in a Cadillac? What's he doing? Did they start asking questions? Did they start reporting? Was there an investigation? Or no, they played it cool. I, I know that there was one one fireman there that went to the police or went to the DEA or read, read that transcripts. So um, so one guy went. One guy went. Did that do anything? Did that no, lead to anything or no? I thought, and, and I really thought for all those years, that yeah. they had to catch you. And they never did catch me. How long in U.S. until they caught you from 1973? Oh, they never did catch me. I was uh, for 12 years. I was uh, until 1982 uh, before they arrested me and they charged me with continuing criminal enterprise. I was number 41 that was ever charged with that horrible ch- charge. It's uh, Title 21-841 called Continuing Criminal Enterprise. And you have to manage three organizations with five people in each organization and it carries up to life in prison. And wow, John Gotti was number 42. I gave you were up, 41, he was, was 42. 42. yes, and he died in there. I gave up the money, and uh, they dropped that charge, and they dropped, give me, um, I think, I choose any two marijuana charges and, and uh, income tax, and I got a total of 35 years with only five-year sentence and, 20, and 30 years of probation parole. So I, I got out after a couple, two and a half years. Got and, out after two and a half years. And that's when Barry Seal... Mm-hmm. came to me. I'm, I'm skipping way ahead. And he says, um, I'm, I'm coming out tonight. Ronald Reagan's blue eyes was on the television. We have absolute proof that the communist Sandinista government is in the cocaine running business. And the phone rang and Barry said, I'm coming out. But I come way ahead. I jumped many years in advance there telling that. Now, for people that you may not know who Barry Seal is, if you want to put up the movie American Made so they know what movie American Made played by uh, – Tom Cruise. Uh, Cruise. Uh, Did you see? Have you seen the movie or not? Yes, it's a great movie, by the way. You Uh, think so? I thought it was a good movie. I mean, obviously, the story of uh, (laughs) you're not a fan. Oh, it was just terrible. It was really. Oh, yeah. Well, of course, you would say that because because it's your life, meaning you lived it, so you know more details than the guys. It was just stupid. Like if if you got Got thirty million dollars in your airplane, you're gonna bet ten dollars he can't take off because the runway's too short. Who could even think of such a thing? Yeah, you're gonna put guns to his head and take his sunglasses. That just you're crazy. And then all these planes running through the yeah. – I, I pioneered that course through the run, through the oil wells. And they're going to talk to the DEA. How, how are you going to know what channel they on? Just like it's going to go different So places. you're saying a lot of that movie was just kind of far-fetched, yeah, unbelievable. Somebody, somebody sat in a, uh, a rocking chair and read something and uh-huh. said, how could it have been? Did you, did you look at Tom and say he reminds me of Barry or not at all? Oh, not at all. Really? Nothing. Barry looked like, looked like a statesman. Barry looked like um, – Somebody should have been a, a governor or a really? senator, yeah, like a Clinton, like a Bill Clinton type of guy. Even good looking, yeah, and really smart, well spoken, uh, you know, all beautiful, smoking. Hmm. He's just gentle, southern gentleman, nicest man as you would ever meet. Just really, unbelievable. Really. So, so you guys, you guys get hooked up. At this point, who who has more power 
and more money between the two of you? Or is it a different kind of power and money? Barry worked completely for me. I paid him a salary. You, so Barry uh, uh, pay, worked for you. You paid him a salary. Yes. And he's flying for you at this time. That's right. Okay. When all that happened. But, boy, we've got so many years we've we jumped over there. So be, between <laughs> those years of jumping over, what happened there? Did you have any kind of connection at this point from Mexico to now you're doing stuff with Ochoa or Pablo? Has anything happened yet or not yet? No, nothing's happened God. to them until uh, I guess 1980. But I, I did. Uh, oh, I got a Twin Beach airplane. A friend of mine says, "Okay, you got shot down and you're shot up. Let me buy you a Twin Beach." They bought me a beautiful one from. I met the tw- the Beach Boys and bought their airplane. That thing was lovely. And I uh, went to Atlanta and picked my wife up, and the red carpet was rolled out, and that thing was just absolutely. It's like that red one over on the right. Hmm. But back then, that was so nice. And I still like that best of all of the airplanes I flew. And uh, yes, and so then I could I could haul uh, about 2,500 pounds. And I just haul load after load after load. And they uh, started Operation Star Trek. And they put these trucks on the little hills all across the border from Galveston to Tijuana. But then I, I would go out in the middle of Baja, 400 miles south of San Diego, and go out two or 300 miles and come in behind the islands of Santa Barbara and come up and go out in the desert and unload. Just never had any problem whatsoever. So it looked like I had, it's like I had a license. How many it. people were working for you at that time? Nobody. It's still a one-man show. Just a one-man show. So always this is, was. So always was. This is still a one-man show. So at this time, um, are you having the big life? Do you live in a big house? Do you have the nice clothes? Are you partying with the right people? Are you being invited to celebrity stuff like that or no? You're living a very low key. Nobody knows. It's like the, it's like the millionaire next door, or, or instead it's a trafficker next door. Nobody <laughs> would know who you are. Is that kind of how it was or no? I don't know. Kind of a mix. We had a nice home in Santa Barbara, kind of. in Hope Ranch, a really nice home. What what is what does that nice home mean to? Well, it was one hundred eighty thousand dollars back then, kind and it's like fifteen million dollars now. Okay, so that's a really nice home. It was a really yeah. nice home. Yeah, yeah fifteen yes. million dollar home. Okay, and uh, on a. On a firefighter salary. Oh, no, well, listen, I, I quit the fire department and, okay. and we moved up to Santa Barbara. My wife found a house and I says, you know, we can't hide $170,000. How are we going to hide a house? She said, we hide airplanes and ships. You can, Certainly we can have a house. Yeah. So, so said, by the way, this whole time you've been with your wife? Yes. Same wife? Same wife. In and out of 60, jail, everything, you've been 60, together? 60 years. 60 years strong. But we, we were married 58. We were sweethearts for a year and a half before that. Yeah, I know how it goes. All right. Yeah. And how much? How much in that plane that you mentioned? How much money gets? Can you? You said twenty five hundred. Twenty five hundred tons. Pounds. Pounds, pounds. Not tons. Twenty five hundred pounds. Yeah, I apologize. Yeah. How, what does that equal in terms of what, what the weight that you're moving? Oh, marijuana. Back cocaine? then, I was making from sixty to hundred thousand dollars. I flew it on halves. I didn't like to buy it or sell it or load it or nothing. I would. I would land. Somebody would put it in. I would come up, kick it out. Somebody pick it up and take it to him. You didn't touch it. anything. I, won't, I didn't. I didn't use it, touch it, buy it, smell it, smoke it. So did you feel like you were a criminal at this point, or is it like, look, I'm not even touching it. I'm just a tra- I'm the Uber driver of the trafficking business. Listen, I never felt like I was an, a criminal. I'm an outlaw, but we outlaws for many things when you break the law. Now it's not even against the law. After I got out, after all those thirty something years, there was a big billboard that said, "Relax, we deliver your marijuana to your house." <laughs> I, I think Adam's trying to get ideas. I know, That's what yeah. Adam's trying to yeah, get ideas on how to make that My kind of money. Moves. He wants to buy that $50 million house in Santa Barbara. <laughs> I did too. Nice. 
So okay, so at this time you're you're, you're like you're living large. Are you partying or are you pretty low key? No guy? partying at you're all. You're not a party. Not a bit. So are no. you a guy that uses the product, smokes weed, snorts not, coke, or not don't, at all? Don't touch it. You don't touch it. You've don't never touch it. it. It's oh, not. I've touched it. I tried, but yeah. I mean, I don't. I, but I'm. But like, it's not something where I, you're I like, did, hey, since I, I didn't got, inhale. Yeah. <laughs> okay, Bill Clinton. Well, Biggie said never get high on your own supply. So That's you were right. Just... No, I don't. I'm not a druggie. I don't use it. Yeah. So okay. So this is happening. So. Are are your uh, are you still a middleman? Are you still not working directly? Are you still not somebody that's you know? Uh, or when does the big phone call come in where you said, "Oh shoot, I'm, I'm officially sitting with p- players in the room now"? Well, I uh, I'd like to back up and tell you one story. Sure. I bought a DC three and I had connections down to Columbia to haul um, to haul marijuana and that haul three three uh, three tons. A thousand miles and land on a seventeen hundred foot strip. A wonderful, wonderful airplane there for that is. What'd That's you pay for that, by the way? That plane. If you can put it up, John. Sixty five thousand. You paid sixty five thousand for that plane. Yes. Wow. And it's worth about half a million dollars now. But anyway, I was down there and and I got shot down. Shot shot plumb out of the sky by the Columbian jet, jets, two jets, and that was during the World Series baseball game in nineteen eighty one. And uh, I got out of that plane and uh, was eleven days in the jungle. The other, the other couple of guys that was in the plane, they went down the road, and they spent several years in Bogota prison. And uh, I went through the jungle and rode dugouts and whatever I could do and swim across rivers, and I was 11 days, and that's when I uh, finally came to a place I could uh, don just style avions, wear airplanes, mm-hmm. and the Indians would say, Loma Linda, Loma Linda. And finally, when I got to Loma Linda, it was beautiful. It was like Hawaii and World mm-hmm. War II, airplanes sitting out there, and I went up and Hello, how did you get here? You know, and and you don't know what this place is. This is Loma Linda headquarters for Missionary Aviation Fellowship for the Amazon, and they flew me out. Isn't that wonderful? Wow! And by the way, for you, we have younger listeners. This is not the same Amazon, like the Amazon company. You're talking about like Amazon, Amazon, the Amazon we have to, jungle. We have to clarify it nowadays because some people are thinking Amazon was founded in the '80s. It's not, <laughs> folks. It's later on. So, so that happens, and then what happens at that moment? How are you getting connected with these guys? <clears throat> oh, a guy came up and wanted me to know if I would uh, unload an, uh, a ship with marijuana and wanted me to give him uh, $100,000 or something and to, to buy the fuel to come up in case I didn't there so they could go back. And I thought that was a pretty good deal, but it was just a ripoff. So I went down to see him, and uh, he didn't have the money, of course, so he took me to see a man named Fernando Correo in Medellin, Colombia, and he was up on the top floor, and uh, and he, he he looked like Winston Churchill, or was a kind of like, he could speak a lot of language, probably a genius from, no telling what, but he was drunk, and he stayed drunk. <laughs> so that's how, and he said he paid $5,000 a kilo to anybody to transport his cocaine, but you see Marta, his wife, and so I did, and, and uh, so in Sasheda, a woman from Bolivia, Sonia de Atila, and high cheekbones and rabbit boots and rabbit fur coat, and she was kissing him on all cheeks and said she was going to Miami to buy an airplane. And so he said, you have an airplane, don't you, Roger, for sale? So the lawyer there did. So I said, yes. She said, what kind? I said, a Queen Air. Well, she perked right up, Queen Air. (laughs) So she said the price, and he kept bumping his hand up like that. So I made a deal to sell her the Queen Air, and I had it brought down. And then when it came to Panama, and, and uh, she said, well, you have to go to Santa Cruz, Bolivia, to get the money. 
Well, so her entourage and all got in it. We went to Santa Cruz, and the police met her with the flags flying on the old limousines, and we went out outside of uh, Santa Cruz and to underneath the water tank. And there was like a house made of marble, square, like a mausoleum. And there was a fence around it, and the people were all outside the fence, and they were crying. And she what's the matter with you fools? And your lion is in there eating the baby. She had a mountain lion, and she opened the door and ran in there, and there was Kitty, about a 200-pound mountain lion, eating a baby on the floor. It almost was, I mean, I won't, it was just gross. What do you mean eating a baby? The maid left the baby on the floor, and this mountain lion that she's pet in her house is eating it. What? Yes. That's the most gruesome thing, I, horrible thing I've ever seen in my life. It was just, just terrible. I mean, she, she finally took it away, but the, the baby was eaten. Done. Well, some head and some diapers and some oh legs left. Oh, my God. Dude, was that story is just like. Yeah. So, holy mo- Well, so that I got story my- just took a total turn. Seriously, for, I, I I'm, I'm in a completely different place right now. So, and it was her baby and her no, mountain no, lion. No, no, I'm more no, interested no, about this mountain lion now than Pablo Escobar. Nah, I don't know. Yeah, it was and a, you saw this. Right there when she pushed him away in a line line with all muddy mouth and she grabs him around the neck and gets him out of there. And, you know, so. Roger, I, I know we're going to get into Pablo Escobar. I know we're going to get into some of those juicier stories. At any point, you're, you're already in a Mexican jail. You're seeing babies getting eaten. You're getting your. your, your uh, been shot. You've been shot at. You're, you're, you're missing a, a foot almost. At any point, you're saying, babe, like, is your wife not saying, honey, what are you doing? Like, just like live our life in California, or was the money too sweet to pass up? Did you know, looking at that time, it didn't even feel dangerous, even if those things happened. How's that possible? I don't know, but it just didn't. (laughs) What? You're seeing people lose their lives. You're almost losing your life, and it still didn't feel dangerous? It it really didn't. I mean, it's just like flying an airplane and you land on a sand bed, or it's like a bush pilot, and it was fun and it was great. I mean, go down and stay in the nicest hotels in Mexico and go fishing and fly a load back. It was just great. How much How much shit did you see growing up as a kid? Like, did you live a rough life? Like, did you no, live a life where you all. saw? I lived in a mother and father and grandma. I lived that's, in my that's grandma what it around feels the house. Like. And, yeah, it feels like and, you were raised with right values. I did. Yes, of course I did. And then, so as an outlaw yourself. Your so you is so is it the thrill? Is it the excitement? Is it money? Is it let me get a little bit more? Is it what what keeps you coming back? I don't know. It was just it was just like I wasn't I wasn't afraid of it, and it was a lot of money. Like now I'm making a hundred thousand dollars every time I want to fly an airplane down for a little buzz and go fishing and huh. come back. That was it. Yeah. So okay. So if you want to continue with the story, so at what point do you meet Ochoa or Pablo? Okay, these guys uh, come up after, I think it was after the DC-3 was shot down. And now I'm all right. I, I can't go to Colombia, and I've had some trouble in Mexico, too. There's things that I've skipped. <laughs> so uh, I'm kind of out, of out of places to go. We went to Pakistan, did a load out of there, and uh, did, then went to Thailand, did a load out of there, big 20-ton loads, unloaded in British Columbia, and flew it down in float planes to Washington State. I did. What did the Thailand deal make you, the 20 tons? I don't know, a couple of million dollars, I reckon, you know. A couple million dollars. Yeah, and I, okay. I bought a Cessna 206. It was a beautiful plane and flew it down. How did they find you? Because this is, this is pre-anything. So how are people finding you? Through what contest? Not like you're on Yellow Page. It's well, not like you have an Instagram account, <laughs> DM me. How are people finding you? Well, uh, this guy, uh, the, you know, the, the Thailand deal was later on with a guy named Howard Marks that wrote the mm-hmm. book, Mr. Nice. You've heard of him? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he hooked me up. 
and uh, got it. Got, did several times. So he's because obviously back in the days in the military that was normal. So I'm thinking if the connection was any kind of a military, no things like this like used that. to happen with some of the guys that were in the military back in the days. Military bases yeah. were a great place to smuggle drugs. Right back oh, in the days. Oh, he had some people that were doing it. And we we, yeah. we had some people to do it, but uh, then okay, so a guy came up and. Uh, and, and wanted me to unload the ship, and then he stole the money, and so I'm going after it. So he introduces me to um, uh, Fernando Cotorreo. And uh, so then his wife says, we were having a uh, his birthday party. And so it was over on the Pacific Coast. And this this is another story. He says, so I flew over there in a <clears throat> in a plane, with a, a commercial plane, landed on, on the Pacific Ocean, it was like in the jungle. I mean, it looked like you was on you know, as far away from civilization you could get between Panama and Ecuador. And they landed, it must have been 300 people there. And that's when they was deciding, I think it was, or I know it was the beginning of the Medellin cartel. They had ever actresses and actors and stand-up comedians and judges and police chiefs from all over. And everybody had their little bag of cocaine showing it, this and the other. And the party raged for about two days, and then the nice helicopters went to flying away in the planes and left us poor folks there. And for the so it was Sunday, and a good portion of me gone, and I had taken some barbecue and went around the log cabin and was laying there in the in the uh, hammock reading MMK's The Far Pavilion, and pow pow, and blood spattered on the book that I'm reading. I rolled out of that out of that hammock and kept rolling until I felt safe to look up. And I looked up, and there was a, a, a young black man, handsome man, looked like he was about 22 or 25, and he was tearing the pistol out of a, a Colombian, a white Colombian man's hand. And he put it right between his head and went click, 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 click. There was no more bullets in it. And there was a dog there, a white bulldog with a, with a black spatch over his eye, and he was turning cartwheels, and the blood was flying. And I looked, and on the on the on the young man was he had been shot in the in the leg, and he was bleeding bad. And I and so he hobbled backwards, and I said, "Listen, I, I told him in Spanish, I'm a doctor. I was lying, but I could have stopped it because with this fireman training." And uh, so he pointed that gun at me, and I didn't want that click 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 in my face. And he hobbled on back. And I said, "Please, man, I'm I'm a doctor. I can help you." And he went on back down there and died. An old crone out came out screaming. Y'all people are going to get in trouble. And that night, the generator went out, and it was full of water and stuff when we went out there. And we could hear those people la, 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 under the trees down there. And we thought we was going to get killed. I mean, sure enough. And, and the next day, the place was, the, the runway was covered in cans and trees and stuff so the people couldn't couldn't land. And we stood up all night long to a, a, a little, little rags and oil cans so we could uh, have a little bit of light. So Crazy story, but how did you meet Pablo? And so Ochoa? now then, yeah. I meet somebody there, yeah, and uh, and he wants me to fly cocaine. Okay. So his name was uh, Jaime Ordonis, and he had had a ton of cocaine confiscated him from him in, in Medellin, and he had killed sixteen judges, is what I heard. So, uh, I I flew down, and. Uh, 
he was supposed to put 300 kilos, and I believe there's 165 in there. And I gave it to a guy named Bill Barbosa, and somebody shot him in the stomach. He was in the hospital two or three months here in Miami, and I thought, <laughs> I ain't want to fool with those people anymore. So I told my friend Mario, the one that introduced me to him, and uh, he, uh, he says, I got somebody to introduce you to. I, I've got somebody you need to meet. Come down. So I came down, and uh, we went to uh, Invigata. is a village just out of Medellin. And we pulled up into an, a, a, like a little estate, like an old house with hitching rails in front and, and little stones all over. And there must have been 30 or 40 men out there waiting to talk to the patrons. And so we was ushered right in, and there was a drop-dead gorgeous woman in there. I mean, and she wanted to know if we wanted a cup of coffee or tea, so we had our coffee. And then we were introduced to George Ochoa, Jorge Ochoa. Mm -hmm. And he was sitting at a big desk, and he was so nice. He spoke some English, and he had 12 telephones, all of them with different colors. And he'd tell us, this is New York, and this is Washington, and that in Seattle. He said, when it rings, I know where they're talking from. So I got salesmen in that part and other, and he told me I wanted to know what kind of airplanes I had and what kind of experience I had crossing the border. And I told him, and he said, well, we pay $5,000 a kilo for you to bring it up, and uh, we'll put it on, and our people will accept it up there. So he said, let me get my partner. So he was gone a minute, and he came back in with Pablo Escobar. And Pablo Escobar was a nice-looking man, just, uh, friendly and had a nice attitude to him, shook hands, asked me the same question that Jorge had asked me, and he seemed pleased with it. And so that was, that was how I met, met him, so I started flying. And they, would put, 300, they put 300 kilos on the first time. And then they, I said, it'll hold a lot more, but they wouldn't put it on for me. So after I don't know how many loads, I guess five loads or something, I got above the, um, uh, above the uh, fog and I couldn't get down. And I had to land at uh, New Orleans International Airport and bounce down that thing in the fog and sit there <laughs> all night with 300 kilos in there. So the next morning the sun's come up and I'm like, ouch. I, and I took off and, and went over where I was supposed to do and, and got down. And I thought, I'm not going to ever do that again. I had $7 million at the time. And I said, I'm just, I'm through. So I told Lito, the man that I give it to, I said, listen, man, I, I almost got killed. I'm not going to do it again. Oh, Roger, please, please, don't you know anybody? So that's when I hired Barry Seal. Got it. And then I hired another fellow out in California. And so I had two airlines going, and I had about seven of those Panther conversions and I had two people buying cars, putting uh, hydraulic jacks on them and new hoses and new tires, and it was just like bang, 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 bang. So what are you paying Barry, and what are you making every time Barry flies? I would pay Barry $2,000 a kilo, and he was pouring five, so he had five. Uh, he, he made a million dollars each time, and then I had to give him $50,000 for the Heffy at Mina. You had to give him $50,000 at a Heffy at Mina. For people that don't know who the Heffy is, is this the William guy? I suppose it was. He said, I'm having go I'm, he told up, I'm having dinner with the governor tonight. So I don't I don't know. I never met the governor. And I, I so you never met Bill Clinton? No, not okay. at all. I never even been to Mina. But but he told you that this money was going to Bill? No, he told me that I have it paid away all the way to the top. I have it paid off completely. There's no way on worth I can get caught in Mina. And he did say a couple of times, I'm going to be... I'm going to the governor mansion tonight. Now, where would you see him? Where would you see him? Oh, I saw him all the time. I had to get giving him money all the time. But where did you see him? All over the place? No, I see him in New Orleans or, okay. or, or Got it. he lived in Baton Rouge. And he'd come to Miami. And i tell you a little story. He, he wouldn't fly again until I paid him. 
And it took me about three weeks to get the pay because it was a pipeline. And so he would barely ache about it, not being in a good natured really, but uh, he'd hold my, he, one night we, we wasn't in a room, so he stayed with my wife and I and the little baby in the in the hotel room at the Omni there. And, and, and he'd hold the baby up on his big old belly and, oh, ain't that good, Rhett? And so uh, I gave him a, I paid him a million dollars and I put a, uh, a package of stay free mini pads in there. <laughs> and wow. he liked that so good he made a thought for it on his mantelpiece. Let me ask you a question. The story about Mina that uh, at one point, Mina, a small city nobody knew about, was getting more $10,000 cash deposits than any other city in America. Was that an accurate story? I'm that they sure kept building had... banks on top of banks. And the federal government is like, why the hell does Mina have so much cash in the <clears> bank there? What's going on over here? And it kind of triggered something. <clears throat> well, I went to prison. And I, I was in there for two years. And then, of course, Barry was really nice. He he paid me for the airplanes, every penny of it uh, that was, and helped my wife, whatever he could, got me a lawyer. So he was a good friend of mine. Barry and, was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I love Barry. And uh, so then he started uh, with the CIA, those guys. And he was bringing it up by the tons. And he was landing in Mina. And he was taking a few guns back down. Can you imagine what a twin-engine plane, no matter how big it is, how AK-47 is going to affect the war down there? It was just an excuse for them to say, okay, we're shipping guns down and change it for this. And <laughs> so that's, that's all it was. It's just a front. So it's, just, it's just a front. But what's, what's the, you know, again, you, you hear these, uh, uh, like, uh, uh, when you went to jail, when you went to jail at that time when he was saying he was paying all the planes and all that stuff, how did you get caught for you to go do the 30-some years that you did in U.S.? Not the 30 years, but the time they get caught here. How did you get caught? Okay, just 11 people told on me, and they give – I mean, they, you could write a book of all the depositions that they gave. Said, Roger did it. I mean, the airplane – the man that worked on my airplane, he would just tell about the bullet holes in the plane, see machine guns in there, which there was no such thing. White powder on the windowsills. I never – it was just they, – they, once they get into the grand jury – they think they're going to get out of their little problem. They just they just build a, a, a whole book about it. So uh, did, I had, did Barry ever? Did Barry, uh, the story about him being an informant and working with guys and being on the inside because Barry for what a, Barry was more connected. Would you agree that Barry was more connected with politicians and power players in U.S. than you were connected in U.S. and you were more connected in other countries than here? Is that a correct statement? Exactly. But Barry was connected with the CIA. He was yeah, connected with the CIA. Certainly, absolutely. Yeah. They was they was hooked up, and they they were bringing it, and they put the um, they had somebody to invent the crack cocaine, <clears throat> and they put it in every city in the United States over one weekend, and it killed thousands and thousands of people. They, they mixed it with, well, I think, baking powder or something, and, and, and made it, and it's extremely addicting, and went to the black communities particularly. What was the motive behind it? I mean, we've money. read about. It. I'm just money, curious to know. just money. And so, I mean, on that one trip, I, I know that he brought one and a half tons in, and that, that's a pretty good solution. I understood there was 10-ton loads coming in there. So, boy, there was so. The, 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 the story about him, uh, uh, you know, there's many versions of this story, and I've heard even you tell this story in, in multiple different podcasts and, and things that's been written about even in here. But... What are, rather than asking you what do you think happened to Barry and who killed him, what are some of the conspiracies out there about who killed Barry? I know exactly who killed Barry. You know exactly who I killed him. I know 100% him. who killed him. A man named Ronaldo. And on my second load, 
Ronaldo got in the back. I was on a uh, on a banana plantation, and it was real clay, long clay runway, and I had a little turbojet aero commander, turboprop aero commander. And I took off with him in the back seat on, with a Mac 10. And when we took off, the wheel wheels got filled up with mud, red clay, and the wheels couldn't come up. So I can't make it to Louisiana, over 2,200 miles, I believe it was. So I had a place I used to refuel in, in Belize, and, and a real nice fellow there on a huge ranch. So I told him, we got to land. He put the gun to my head, no, 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 you, you, you go into Louisiana, so we're going to all die, man, we got to do it. So anyway, I, we had a nice lender and went on, and he's the one that killed, he's, he met Barry, I believe, at that time. And he's the one that killed him. He's still doing life. And uh, he may have been the one that killed him. But was what's his reasoning for wanting to kill? I would, Ronaldo's I would imagine. Well, I don't imagine. I just know that Barry was testifying against Pablo Escobar and the Ochoas. Now this guy worked for them. Got it. So no, no question who who did it. Somebody paid him to come up here and kill him, and they was, he had two guys with him, and they all got caught. <laughs> Is it true that Barry went to uh, Bush Sr. and said, if you don't clear up my IRS tax issues that I'm having, you know, I'm going to let the whole story out and tell everybody about what really happened here, what we did? No, that's not true that's at all. That's not true? No. Okay. He, uh, no, that's just, just not true. Got, got it. So, And then in regards to uh, – uh, Bill Clinton, and I know it's probably, there's a lot of people to be scared of in life. You know, his wife's probably in the top 100 list for many people. Maybe not yourself, but, you mm -hmm. know, she, she's a pretty experienced individual in many different ways politically. Yes. Um, who was Bill Clinton back then when you were doing what you're doing? I mean, I know who he was, but who was he? Was he a power guy? Was he just a, you know, governor? Was he, who was he? Well, he was a strong man around Mina there until he was governor, and then he was governor and that, that's that's just all it was. That's all I know. Did you did you also have those kinds of relationship with other governors from other states or no? He was no, a main nothing. one. I, I was completely out when I was doing uh, Louisiana. I used the Interstate Ten. They were building it, and <laughs> it was the best runway you could ever see. And the bridge. What was a freeway! A, oh my hmm. God! You could land. What on it a and, freeway! Yeah. And I just go out there the next day and scrub my tire marks out and and they keep landing there. You would land on ten. Interstate 10 before it was finished. Get out of here. All the way across Louisiana and Texas as they was making. It was just beautiful. You could have miles. Have a truck there with a thousand watt candlelight. Yeah, 10 was a game changer. It was wonderful. I know. I, I mean, you take it from St. Augustine, your neck of the woods, exactly. Jacksonville, all the way through Florida, Tallahassee, yeah. all the way through the Panhandle. Boom, you're in Louisiana or Mississippi, Louisiana, Texas. You're just. And that bridge across the Mississippi, several contractors went broke on it. I guess it was 10 or 15 years, and they had big red flashing lights just like at the end of a runway, and you had five miles to the river. Pascalusa. It was beautiful. Uh, any any run-ins with the mob during that time, like when you were doing stuff? Did you do anything with the Italian mob? I know you said 41 was you, 42 was John Gotti. Was there any kind of relationships? when they? Because when they find out somebody knows how to make money, they typically want to team up. Did that ever happen? No, nobody knew me that much. But okay. I, I did clean the Russian grain ships with a hydroblasting business, and I met Carlos Marcello, and I liked him. And he said, no, when you do something, that's how many knows it. And when you tell somebody, that's how many knows it. How many is that? Two. No, it's 11. Got it. <laughs> so I liked that. Then he tells his best friend. <laughs> so that's Love what that. I remember. He said that. Yeah. So what's it's, the message there? Just keep, oh, it just keep your mouth shut. No and are you telling you your wife everything at this point, though? No, but she knows what I'm doing, but I don't tell her. I mean, and your I mom knows what you're doing. She's over in Georgia, so she's out of it. But she but know, they know she's what aware I'm, of oh, what yeah, you're they doing, know and I'm, your wife's aware. Yes. 
And at any point when I, I feel like I keep circling back to this, you're getting shot, you're getting run up on, your, your plane's going down. I mean, you're going to jail, hot sauce. At any point, is your wife saying, honey, enough's enough? Are you that big of an adrenaline freak? Are you that just, hey, you know, it happens, line of business to get out of this? I don't know. She just she just had faith in me. She just believed I could do anything. Hmm. I mean, it's like I always came home, and uh, and she knew about where I was, and she was kind of my flight plan. So, I, I, sometimes I remember I'd be eating sandwiches, and I'd have a love letter right in between the bologna. You know, so did she love you that much, or did she love the fifteen million dollar house? No, did she she love definitely the definitely did not love the money, and still doesn't. Huh. She does not. She's real simple. She's a very Christian person. We, we both are Christian, but she's really, she re- really loves the Lord. Did, I mean, you, did you ever try to introduce Jesus to Pablo and, and tell Pablo about Jesus and God and Bible or no? Did no, you sit there didn't. with no, no, you? I'm not talking about your. Oh wife, no, I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a that that type of a okay. person. No. So, so how much total time did you spend with Pablo and Ochoa? If you were to I, say, I spent, I spent a weekend with Ochoa out there with his, uh, out on his, uh, with all 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 the bird cages and the animals and all that, and uh, with with uh, Pablo, I, I spent like a, I saw him like three times or four times, and I went, spent one day with him. We flew out to a farm that he had near with a couple of guys in, and and they were some boys there, and they put me on a motorcycle early in the morning. The wet grass was wet, and he said, "You ride a motorcycle?" I yeah. So we got on, and I boom, 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 and I went, and there was a little ditch there, and the front wheel fell in it, and I went sliding across the grass, and they all had a big laugh, you know. And so then uh, we we rode those motorcycles a while, and <clears throat> then we got on horses, and he gave me a machine gun pistol and over. Can you? You know about this, and of course I never seen one. Yeah, absolutely. So we <laughs> we we rounded up some cattle, played cowboys a little bit, and um, was he a guy? Was either one of them a type of guy that you see him? You're like, wow, what a fun guy, what a nice guy. And then all of a sudden, something happened, triggered, boom. It's a completely different human being, or was it? What your few hours that you spent with them, you just saw one. Uh, a side of their personality. Oh, I, I think that he was just one side of his personality at that time. I think he went somewhat crazy. You know, they had a there was a three pronged war down there for some years, and ten thousand people a, a year being killed, murdered in Medellin. So, uh, the 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 uh, military was just as bad. The government was just as bad as his side. You had the government, you had the Contras that was uh, uh, the white Colombians that was against the guerrillas. And all three of them was was full on into cocaine business and into tons of it, and so I, I guess uh, the the Contras was who I was working with, but there was plenty of it coming out from the from the jungle from the from the FARC, and the military was producing and, and robbing and stealing all they could get, so it was fair game. So I guess whenever they started killing Pablo, I don't know who started killing first, but it was a war between them, and. Uh, uh, so people get when people start dying around you and people trying to kill you, people change. And and I believe he did. And late later on, he become like a, like a monster, just bringing that airline down if he did, and paying a thousand dollars for every policeman that they would kill. And that's just that terrible. Did Ochoa go and turn himself in, and then he did like five years, and then <coughs> came out, and now he's like living in Medellin. I think he's still alive or something yes, like that, still, right? Yes, uh, he's he still, is. Uh, his older he's, brother died recently, right? And his younger brother just got out of prison, I believe. Recently. What, what is he up to? What is Ochoa up to? He has uh, a place for Pasasino, Pasafina horses there in uh, in Vigado. He'd be a very. I think we reached out for an interview a few years ago. He'd be a fascinating guy to interview. 
you know, to if he's still a Medellin, you think he would do an open? Uh, he would do an interview. I don't know. He's a mighty nice person. He's a real yeah. gentleman. He really? is. Oh, absolutely. So he's not a guy that's killed anybody. You no, know, just not not his type of person at all. You'd like him, Ochoa. Yeah. So I'd be safe if I went to Medellin to 100%. conduct an interview. Well, maybe huh. we go together because you got your license back to fly. Well, he owes no? me some money, so he don't want to talk to me. <laughs> he owes you some money. Three and a half million dollars. So maybe we go collect and go halves. That's good. I'll show you. <laughs> That's what he's trying to get. Yeah, I mean, Adam's trying to, this entire time, he had a you know, OnlyFans situation that we're way. trying to fix here. I, I, you're, you're, I know you're kind of joking. No, I'm not joking. No, 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 no. I know Pat's kind of joking, but he's also kind of serious. Because look at uh, his resume. How many mafia mob guys have you interviewed? Dozens. Yeah. Countless. Yeah. How many guys affiliated with the DEA, Escobar, you know, everyone in the Colombian Mexican cartels? I mean, I mean, we're talking dozens and dozens and dozens of this. What keeps coming? Why does it keep coming back to you? Like, all right, these types of characters, these stories, these entrepreneurs doing things their own way. Why do you keep revisiting this? What is it about this? And what is it about their business models that maybe you learn from? Yeah, I mean, for me, like I am, uh, 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 as much as I love capitalism, I like talking to communists more because I want to know what makes you believe in that argument. Mm -hmm. Make sense? Like as much as I'm a free enterprise guy, I like to talk to, like Jenk is one of my favorite guys I talk to. What makes you believe that? Like what caused you to get there? I'm a a, a law-abiding citizen, but I want to know, Sammy, how did you get here, Sammy Mm -hmm. DeBorgravano? I'm just curious. What was the tipping point? Was there a place to save you from getting there? Like with him, it's it's either you are, uh, 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 you know who you look like? Can you pull up Jim Jenkins? This entire time I've been, you know who Jim Jenkins nope. is or no? Okay. So type in Jim Jenkins and uh, uh, type in Jim Jenkins and put uh, um, Kennedy right next to it. Put Kennedy right next to Jenkins. Yeah. Uh, right there. Look at that. Okay. Click on that. Jim Jenkins was one of the autopsy guys. You look like guys could be brothers, by the way. Obviously, he'd be older than you, but Jim Jenkins. He's a handsome guy, as yeah, I can say. But by the way, what's crazy is he's been married to the same woman for 50-plus years. So similar. how many? How long have you been same married to your Roger. wife? 58 years. 50. He's been married to his wife, at this point, I want to say 54 years, 55 years, right? You, you have no idea who this man is, Jim nope. Jenkins. Okay. Uh, no, but I sit there, and I'm listening to, to you, and I'm like, okay. Uh, do you think... You're smarter than the people you sit with. Like, do you think you can outsmart and outmaneuver yourself out of anything? Do you think that or no? Not at all. At all? No. Seriously? No. So would you consider yourself a very simple man? Yes. What do you like to do for fun? I like to walk. I like to run. I uh, climb the mountain behind our house every every week and that that sort of thing. How about when you were 35? Like, what was fun for you at 25 or 35? (laughs) Oh, I don't know. I I, I like flying and uh, I like... With my wife and I, we'd go out to eat and dinner and bottle of wine, that sort of thing. We didn't do anything. I mean, uh, just didn't have anything. Simple life. Your simple life, yeah. yes. And are you somebody that if somebody shared a secret with you, it stays with you? Absolutely. That's that's your uh, mm-hmm. MO? It's strong yes. and it stays with you? So then, because the fact that you're alive, still sitting here, and Barry is not, means something. There was something that happened there that they weren't willing to take you out or... I, they had no reason to whatsoever. I mean, it's not about that. They had many different reasons to take you out. If I got a plane, you're bringing me a delivery, and if I want to flip against the other guy, and I can just take this, there's a lot of different ways I can eliminate you. The people could do that to make more money. A guy like you could. No, no, you misunderstand. They put, I'd land a plane yeah. on, on a 
I, I would come over El Banco uh, in Magdalena Basin. Yeah. And I'd be at 10,000 feet, whatever kind of airplane I had. <clears throat> and I'd look at 9,000 feet, and there'd be a, a Cessna tail dragger, a bush plane, circling at 9,000. I didn't know where I was going. And I'd circle around, I'd find him, and we we go wings, and I'd, I might go 100 or so miles behind him, and we'd come to a jungle strip, and I would land. And I could spend the night. I could do as long as I wanted to. They, they'd have a good meal for me, put gasoline in the plane, fill it up with the cocaine, and I would fly back. And each one of those duffel bags belonged to someone. And they would have, uh, like, the brand for their cattle, like a snake on it or three X's or, or some horns. And those all belonged to, and I would give them to a man in Miami here that named Leto, and I would just point out the cars where they were. And I didn't I didn't. They didn't have to give me any money. I'd wait three weeks, sometimes a month, before I'd get paid. So, yeah, but but the moment people know on the inside and greed happens, how do empires fall? They fall within it. Within you don't have to ever worry about the people on the outside. Always worry about people on the inside that may turn against you due to envy, due oh, to whatever absolutely. may be. So yes. all I'm saying is, if somebody on one guy's side says, "Hey, uh, you know, such and such, you know, this guy making all this money. Why don't you and I go?" and be in the middle of the travel that he's doing and take him down and take some of the stuff and we can walk away with a couple million dollars. Temptation happens, and that oh, happens all the time. Oh, That's what I mean when I say yeah, I don't okay. know. Yeah. The fact that you're sitting here, you know, somebody looked over you because exactly. odds was- are not uh, supposed to be <laughs> on your side. In, in, in regards to El Chapo, El Chapo's a 1957 guy. You're 1973 when you started, so he was 16. So you probably never done anything with El Chapo oh, or no, anything. Nothing not like at that. all, because he came later on. Yeah, Got it. And so uh, outside of that with Pablo and Ochoa, um, you, you've been very complimentary about Pablo, but at the same time you said, when I found that amount of people he killed, I, you know, I was disappointed by that. What's your relationship in how you saw him and how he treated you to what he did later on? How do you view Pablo? Is it like a complicated way you view him? No, I just think that he just turned bad. That he just, probably the stress and whatever it was, and you, people start shooting and killing each other. People, it's like in war. Look what's happening now with, with Putin, and you wouldn't think that about yeah. him a couple of months ago, seeing him, but he turned and killing tens of thousands of people. Do, do you think a good man are capable of, I guess the question would be the following. Do you think more of good men are capable of doing evil things or evil men are more capable of being good? Wow. I don't know. I think all of us, all of us could do bad things if, enough, if, if we had the right provocation. And I think all of us want to do good if we just live in and be around us and people are nice to us and you say hello and good morning. And we, I love everybody. But somebody's killing my family, I turned into something different. Yeah, I agree. I one time I had a conversation with my dad, and I told my dad, I said, Dad, do you think you're capable of killing someone? He says, never. I said, Dad, stop. He says, never. I'm telling you, I could never do it. You meet my dad. My dad, you know, you know, he says, yeah. He said, I'm not capable of doing something to anybody. I said, Dad, stop it. I said, take one of your grandkids. Somebody does something to him right in front of you. If you have a choice between killing them or you, what would you do? He says, well, maybe I'm capable of doing something. <laughs> exactly, yeah, life exactly. changes a little bit, right, when you get to that. But uh, have you seen evil, evil men become good? No. No? No. Have you met many evil men throughout your lifetime? Yes, in prison. There's in prison. some that should be executed. Seriously? Absolutely. Tell me more. Well, we had a fellow in there named Stick'em Steve. 
and stick him. Steve was a guy about my size, but I, I, I think he'd kill thirty. He came in to do three, three years, and he killed thirteen people while he was in there. Over he killed the, thirteen people in there in prison over the years. He'd go in a year or two in solitary, and he'd get out and he'd kill somebody else. Maybe he wouldn't get get convicted of it. He kills somebody else, and then he kills somebody else. So prisoners, yeah, and for what he, reason? Whatever, just it didn't bother him. So he'd come in. We had a little TV room there at Lompoc, is maximum security prison, where somebody was killed every month when I was there. Murder. Every every 30 days, somebody was killed. What city is this? Lompoc, California here. Okay. They got cameras in there and knocked it down to three or four years. But when I was there, it was bad. So Steve would come in, turn the television camera at 3 o'clock. We had headphones to plug in in a, in a little TV room glassed in. Y'all know I watched Bonanza every day at 3 o'clock, and the guys would just lay the headsets down and go. Like, I wasn't scared of Steve. I just didn't want to kill him. I didn't want to trouble with him, so I just put my headset down and watched Bonanza one or the other. Well, I was down on cell, cell 17, and my friend Phil was 18, and I was a little slow getting my cup of coffee, my coffee to go down to the end to the where the hot water heater was and really 15 or 20 men down there getting it. And uh, my friend Phil's coming down and he says, and I'm going, he says, you don't want to go down there. I said, what's going on, Phil? He said, you don't want to see. I <laughs> bullshit, I do want to see. And I go down there, there's nobody there. It's a place bigger than this room. And I look and I'm getting my hot water and my instant coffee. And I look across and there's Steve with his shirt off at the rail. <clears throat> and he turns around and comes to me, and it looked like a car spring has been stuck through him all the way through his chest, and it's out his back. <laughs> oh, boy. And he come right up to me, and like a little boy, he says, can, can you help me? Can you, can you help me? I said, no, Steve, I don't, buddy, I don't believe I can help you. And he said, can, can anybody help me? And he walked back over to the rail, and he leaned over, and he, the blood started coming out of his mouth and dropped down by the guard station. And, of course, the guard hit the button, and here all the guards come, 50 of them, and they're going up them stairs, shaking it like boom, 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 boom. And his boss, he painted, painted the house, and his boss was a tubby fellow about 30 years old. And they had had an argument the day before, and he almost put Steve into choking. And he ran right up to Steve, and he was like me. He didn't see it to start with, and when he saw it, he dropped dead of a heart attack right in front of Steve's feet. Get out of here. I'm around the corner trying to have a look and all those people. And then Steve fell down on him, just the two of them dead right there together. And they locked us up for two weeks, and, I mean, they treated us bad. They come to everything out of the cell, guns in my face, like, say something, Reeve, say something. Who's they? Who is well, they? That, that guard, his name was Clark. Oh. But wh- what did what did Stickham Steve do at that point? Where he where just he, he, he just fell dead. He just no. Died. But who did he oh, kill at that point? He didn't kill anybody. Somebody had come into his cell while he's still laying on the mattress oh. and put that, oh, put, that, that put, put that metal through him. It went out into his mattress through that through him, and it didn't kill him right then. He lived another five minutes. So oh. he his was the first cell there on that side, and so he just walked out and. How many different prisons have you been in? But, but wait, I want to yes, stay sir. on the story here. So this guy, so do, did you guys finally find out who killed the guy? Or no, no, nobody wanted to know who killed him. How many people were in the cell in the prison with you guys at that time? Fourteen hundred. Oh, so you're not going to find that. And, and about two hundred in my unit, and I was a maximum unit. And there were some bad boys in there. Well, you're saying Steve had it coming. <laughs> Absolutely. Thirteen right. people. You kidding me? Every time he goes down there, so so uh, eventually people, somebody somebody is going to take this guy but, out. But somebody should have. Done I mean, it a long time ago. 
Somebody did it a long time ago. Yeah. If the government should have done it, I mean, why, why are we going to let so people you, like that? So you believe in death penalty? Hundred. When I went in, I didn't. But after living with some of those people that Black Bob cut a man open and, and, and ate his heart and put him under my bed in E17 before I got there. What? Yeah. So, I mean, you live with so those guy people. So cut a guy up and ate his heart? He cut his heart up. He killed him. He cut what his, jail did you go to? Like, what, what, this, this, is, this is in California. Long, long, long Pop Penitentiary. Right there, fourteen hundred men, twelve dying a year, average. That, that's why I asked the question about how many different jails you've been to, and what was the worst. I got it. So you're trying to compare like how bad yeah. it is compared to this. Yeah, yeah. You, you've been to Mexican jail. You've been to jail in California. Yeah, I assume you've been to them. jail. You've been in jail in Australia. Twenty six of them. How many different jails, yeah. and what's the worst situation to be in? In Mexico, okay, by far. No, no, no doubt about it. This is cleaned up somewhat now. Uh, than, than what it was. There's where I was, 11 years. Oh, maybe not. You look at it right now, what do you think when you see this picture? Does it do anything to you or not? I just think, what a terrible situation the United States has, all those men in there. Half of them don't belong there. Half of them don't? Half don't, of them do, not, do Don't belong there, yeah. But So go back to death penalty, and then I want to ask you the question on the half and half. So death penalty, you're fully for it. You went in not being for it. You're, yes. You left saying, no, we, we need death penalty. There's some people in there that... You know, like Black Bob. I mean, he would just he just kill you if you fool with him, and he just like I don't know. He plenty, and he had shot heroin up, and and uh, he had plenty of sense. I I played chess almost every day, and he'd be nodding off, and I say, "Come on, Bob, move," and he'd move and make <laughs> okay and beat me. So he ain't no shortage, but to do something like that, and he's in there for murder. Did did any of that? So do you, did you go in uh, as a simple guy? Did you come out with some bad, ugly? Uh, um, maybe not habits, but like your view of the world and your intentions changed where you could do more harm than you went in or you went in, you came out the same human being. I think I came out pretty much the same thing, but I, I, I got, you know what I'm asking, I got tougher right? as the years went by in there. Yes, you see it. These teeth are not my own. I left them in a man's neck. Huh. What happened there? He was winning. <laughs> Okay, I got you. <laughs> he had his hair, and I pulled it over and gave him a good bite, and that was the end of that. Did you do that right after seeing a Tyson fight, or was that like uh, inspiration <laughs> came from I should, there? I should give him. I should give him some lesson. <laughs> give him. You went after the ear. You went after the head. <laughs> do you think it's there? There must be some. I know you said I'm a simple man. You know, I'm just here. Yeah. There must be deep below, maybe not on the surface, maybe something you don't even like talking about. A deep sense of cunningness. A, an acute sense of not like, at I'm, all. Not there's got to be something in there. You're hanging out with Pablo Escobar, with Ochoa. You're hanging out with these literal murderers, but they and yet you're just they weren't then. They were just like us sitting here. They, they absolutely. They, you can't look at a man tell. But even he's a in murderer. prison, though, Roger. Well, yeah, some prison, of those people. That guy, something Bob. You said. What did you call him? Black Bob. Black Bob. Black yeah. Bob. Do you think he was always evil? Yes. Oh, so you think some people are well? Pro- no, listen. No little baby's born evil. So, no, I get that, but do you think like he's been bad for a long time? I don't know what happened to him to make him that way. But from he, he, from he, you being around them, I'm just curious, psychoanalyzing yes, uh-huh. some of these guys. How much of that is parenting? How much of that is their own DNA? There's a bunch of their own DNA because it follows. I see it in families: grandfather, father, son comes right on in there. For Pass sure, it down is what you're it saying. Pass it down. Look, we look at animals. You got you got bulls that hook and gore. You get rid of them. And, and pretty soon your herd uh, gets gets a better disposition. It's crazy to know that the perspective here to believe in death penalty after seeing what many of these guys did. So, and, and did you ever see 
uh, well, you said no. You, you didn't see. You said half the people in America shouldn't be in jail. The ones that are in jail shouldn't be in jail. The other half deserve to be in there. How do they end up in there? How broken is the system that we have? It's horribly broken. Why and how? Okay, a lot of the people in prison, not in those prisons, but in the light, lesser prisons, yep. making up the population in camps and farms and this. A DEA agent would go under the bridge with his mustache and his uh, tattoos all over him, and he'll shoot heroin with these guys, or he'll snort a little bit of whatever, and he'll get one of them to sell two or three grams of methamphetamine to the other one, and now he's got two bust. And he takes them to jail, and boy, now I've got two, so he does that every month or two. So whenever it's come for who's going to make sergeant, guess who makes sergeant? The one that's got all these little arrests. Or maybe some of them a little bit bigger, but I'm just, just making it. So now then he goes to a young prosecutor, and the prosecutor comes and says, but we're going to give you 10 years if you don't plead guilty, buddy. And you've got a public defender. I'm going to make sure you do 10 years. If you'll take five, you can do it now, the prosecutor says. Okay. And it's full of them. Okay, you're going to have to do four on the five. And so he's had two grams of methamphetamine. And I'm, I'm in, waiting on a parole hearing in Oklahoma City, which, I'm not ever, which I never got. And uh, so I meet a fellow from Santa Barbara, and where are you going? He said, I'm going to Atlanta. I got caught with two, two grams of methamphetamine, and I'm going to Atlanta for, for psychiatric evaluation. And then I meet a nice young fellow from Albany, Georgia. Where are you going? He said, I'm going to Los Angeles. I got caught with two grams of methamphetamine. I'm going for psychiatric evaluation. I imagine they cost the government $30,000, $50,000 to take them across the country and leave them a month in Oklahoma City at the big big exchange there. 17 planes, I believe, I don't know for sure, which uh, Fed Air, Con Air, don't ask who owns it. Asim, now, the people of the government and the people of the United States don't want to pay that. It's these people that are lining their own pockets with it and their own retirements. And it, it's, it's wrong. It's really wrong. So your upbringing, could they have done anything for you to not, ha- not have pursued this career, your parents? Yes. I, uh, I don't blame it anybody. It's all, my, it's all mine. But my father was an alcoholic. Okay. And we lived in a nice white house on a pretty big farm, but he was drunk and he loved us and nothing wrong with him. He was just a gentleman, but my poor mother worked in a sewing factory and dug like crazy in the dirt and, <laughs> and made us, helped us make a living. And I think if he had to put his arm around me and said, son, you know, you're smart. Why don't you be this or that or a lawyer or a doctor or whatever? I would have perked right up because whatever he said, uh, I like to do it, but he said, Roger's the best damn hog catcher in the county. Well, I was sure I was. <laughs> I'd wrestle a bull down or ride a bucking horse, and, I mean, he laughed about that, and, and I liked it. So I just wondered, my daughter's a doctor, and I encouraged her, you know, study a lesson. Go for something. You can do it. So I, th- I think. But he never beat you up. He never did anything. No it wasn't. Way. It wasn't like he was abusive. He just drank. He was a wonderful human being. I, 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 if I talked about him now, I'd cry. 
but you were seeking his approval. Meaning, yeah, if he told cool. if he told you to do something oh, positive in your life, you would have done would, that. Oh yes, of course. I, I would have been the power of a father, man. Yeah. The power yeah. of a father. Well, can you can you go a little bit more deeper on that? The power of a father on a son. Why is that role so important? What it is. Why so though? Is, why is it so important? I think it's just in, it's inbred in us what our fathers and mothers think of us. It really is, particularly boys with their father. I mean, I can remember things that he did, and it just warmed my heart. When I was about five or six years old, I'd follow him, and he, we had two bird dogs, and he would shoot the quail with the double-barrel shotgun, and they'd point them, and, and as they'd fly, pow, pow, and the birds with feather would fall, and the dogs would get them and come here. And then I'd say, Daddy, can I, can I shoot that gun, you know? And he, he says, do you really want to shoot this 12-gauge shotgun? I just little. Yeah, I want to shoot it. So he puts it over a stump. And he gets behind me real close and holds me, and he puts it up in my shelter, and he pointed at that tree. And I pull that trigger, and the bark flies off of that pine tree. Man, I could have walked on the air. I was so big. You know, stuff like that. It just. Do uh, you remember that vividly? Vividly. Mm-hmm. I remember me out in the yard, and I'm throwing a butcher knife up at the leather-winged bats. I think I'm going to hit them because they'll dive towards you, but they, they're blind, and they, they go away. And I see him coming down the road with his leather coat on and a double-barrel shotgun over, and his two big rabbits hanging in. I run all the way out and meet him. Can I carry one? And I have to hold it up like this, and the rabbit's hair. You know, you just remember things like that, and—, and and then for him being drunk, if, if he would have been carried on with that, what would I have been? I would, I would have never, I would have never went to prison, but it's certainly not his fault. It's mine. I didn't, my brother didn't go to prison. My children, my sisters didn't. So, so you don't put any of the onus. By the way, what month's your birthday? January the 26th. Aquarius. Uh-huh. Wow. And then how, how about your dad? Uh, April. April? Uh-huh. Pat, and- this is something that you're, you constantly are kind of bringing up. The role of the father, the role yeah. of yeah. the role that you play with yeah. your kids, the the important role that your father has played in your life. Yeah, something that even when Roger over here is talking about his dad, this is something that interests you greatly. Like he said, he's going to get emotional about this. Even with um, with uh, Rick Macy, we talked about the role of a coach and the role of a parent and the role of a father. What is it about? I mean, other than the obvious of obviously your parents are important. What? Why is this something you keep bringing on, harping about? Yeah, I, I, I just think you know, um, you know, we're trying to fix. Uh, you, you're getting to the product late to fix it. You know, I, I don't know how to describe that. Like we're trying to fix the product after it's already been broken for eighteen years. Amen. Instead, let's work on the most important example and, you know, face of what that product is looking up to and who is emotionally. Listen, I, 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 you know, I have a lot of influence. Okay, so I went to um, a wedding, you know, with this, this uh, one of our guys, George's wedding. And uh, his dad and I, we've had a lot of good battles back and forth, a lot of them over the years. Dad was a man's man, just like a, he was a guy, Cuban guy, you know, tough guy, you know, confident, swagger, walks in, not afraid. I took him to Kentucky Derby one time, and you would have thought he owned the Derby. <laughs> how he was. And this was like 10 years ago when I took him to the Derby, and 11 years ago when I took him to the Derby. But he would be like, why are you making my son do this? You're making him drive from Palmdale to this. And blah, blah, blah. We would get into it. I'm like, listen. I'm not trying to do anything bad to your son. I'm trying to help your son be a man and a leader. Let me do my part. Let me do my part, right? And 
son George is a quality, quality guy. Very quality guy, right? Smart guy. Very successful. He runs a $30 million a year business with us right now. Does very well for himself. But uh, he wanted to win for his dad, right? And his dad comes up to me to the wedding in November when he got married. He got married, I think, November 13 or something like that. I mean, a beautiful wedding. Small wedding, but a beautiful wedding. And my dad goes, oh, I got to talk to you, Pat. I got to talk to him. We go in the corner. He says, hey, listen to me. You need to know this. You need to hear from me because there's only one man that can tell you this. I said, what's that? He says, my son's had two fathers, me and you. <laughs> We've raised, raised this boy together. I got him in the first half. You got him in the second half. But it's you and I. And he's crying. I'm crying. Mm. My body's got chills all over the, you know, I'm feeling it right now. But a, a boy wants to make his dad and his mom proud. And some of that shit breaks. And you just, I don't know. So, yeah, to me, I would much rather train the trainers. I would much rather get the parents. I would much rather get the fathers. Then we get them at this point of the game. It's too late. Absolutely. It's too late. What are we going to do in here at this point? So we, we screwed the whole thing up way too late. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you how to do it. Let's have, from starting off, let's have family planning is a great, great part of the education. Did you know that there's a half a million children in foster care, and I don't know how many in, in orphanages, and a million's aborted every year, but those children are unwanted, no one loved, and they wind up there. A great portion of them don't know who their parents are, don't know my mama didn't want me, and and I think I told this before, my daughter was, uh, my daughter's a doctor and she delivered a, a baby to a 10-year-old child. What in the world? I mean, what, what four, four or five generations in the, in the visiting room all on welfare. Uh, and, and I say that a bird builds a nest before she lays an egg. Not so human beings. And where the children are, 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 are rather more scarce, they, they're wanted and they're loved and they're taken care of and nurtured. And that, that's what needs to be done. You know, the, the four things I, I tell my kids is lead, respect, improve, love. Yeah. And, and uh, I, I don't know, I don't know a, a co-op. I mean, listen, everybody talks to me, it's not like, but it's not like the way you sell it. I don't think the power of love, man, that love yes. is a very, very, uh, you know, challenging thing. Unfortunately, we had Paul Manafort here last week. I don't know if you know who Paul Manafort is. Paul Manafort went yeah. to jail. Trump, you know, that whole situation as a lobbyist. Trump's campaign. Yeah, and, and I'm, not, I'm not a fan of lobbyists at all. And I told him I'm neither. not a fan of lobbyists on what these guys do, right? It's a big business model. You make a lot of money. But then he said something. He says, what are you going to do? Okay, don't have lobbyists. The other side's going to have lobbyists. So don't go and have them. So now what are you going to do? And you're right. cornered. So, yeah, oh, you know what? We're not going to use tanks. But they're going to use tanks. Okay, let's get a couple tanks, guys. You see what I'm exactly. saying? Sure. Hey, hey, they're going to use uh, rocket launchers. No, no, that's not our policy. No, we got to get rocket launchers. Guys, let's right. go buy some rocket launchers, right? So eventually, to go against an enemy that's doing that, you know, you, you, you try to use love as much as possible, but some people are just, they're playing by different rules than you. So you as a human being are constantly conflicted, constantly conflicted to say, what should we use to handle this crisis, okay? Should we handle it, you know, just let it go and don't worry about it. Well, then if you let it go and the market gets a reputation of you just let things go, then they're going to come in like vultures, you know, take advantage of you constantly. Then what do you do? Um, and maybe that's not the responsibility of everybody. Maybe that is the responsibility of the parents to impose that love and respect and strength and confidence on the right values and principles and hoping the kids are going to pick it up and do something with it. And you still got to risk because at the end of the day, I think the kids got to do what they got to do. There's a lot of 
kids that were raised to great parents that did some dumb shit. They did Absolutely. some stupid things. So a part of the onus is going to be on them as well. You can do everything right and still screw it up because you are not seven and a half billion people around your kids and you're not around them 100% you know, percent of the time. You only run them for a few hours or minutes or sometimes they're gone away from you when they're adults. But yeah, I think, uh, uh, Adam, to go back to it, man, um, I think somehow, some way, as much as we are doing what we're doing with parents, you know, with kids, I, th- I think there's got to be some kind of a parents once a week, once a month course teaching something. I don't know, because if you do it and they do it, the kids feel it. If you pick something up and somebody tells you, here's how I raise my kids and you do it, your kid is going to be the beneficiary of what you picked up from another person that taught it to you. I think we're not spending enough time teaching parents. I want to keep saying this. I think we're not spending enough time teaching parents. But I think, you know, parents are also starting to realize a few different things with all the stuff that's going on, Disney, Netflix, politics, you know, all this mess that's going on. Parents are starting to realize uh, I have to be more involved. There's four things we came up with today. One of them is they're going to start putting their kids in more private schools because right values and principles are necessary. Number two is homeschooling is going to increase. Number three is they're going to relocate to different places. could be a state. They're going to relocate to a different place. And number four, I'm going to keep saying this to you, and I'm not even in the business. I'm telling you right now, you're going to see more parents putting kids in churches, some kind of addition, like like MMA. My kids go to the bar here in Fort Lauderdale, and I got to tell you, they're sitting there teaching them discipline. That's not how you do this. You respect each other. You do this. You have to put your kids in communities right now that are teaching the right values and principles, whether it's martial arts, whether it's church, whether it's sports, whether it's anything. Because it, there's a lot of, it's almost as if there's a lot of people that are also confusing kids nowadays where parenting matters and supporting cast matters. But I'm listening to you the entire time. When you listen to him, if you close your eyes, you didn't know his story. And we never talked about him being a smuggler. And all we were able to talk about is from 0 to 18. And you have one game you have to play. Can you guess what he ends up doing for the rest of his life? Would you have been able to guess what he did for a living? Definitely not a drug smuggler based on uh, his Would you have been able to guess it, Tay? He's just a guy who likes to fly and happened to have drugs pilot. on the plane. Yeah. Became yeah. a pilot, maybe he became a fighter pilot, maybe he went into yeah. the military, became a you know colonel, lieutenant colonel, like, something like that. Like but he said initially, he wanted to be... Uh, missionary aviation. Uh, missionary aviation. Yeah. That's where his heart is. Yeah. And it just so happened that the money was too sweet to Any pass regrets? up. Pardon? Any regrets? Oh, 33 years of them. Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing, nothing in this life. We have love and people is worth, but no, no amount of money is worth going to prison for. Not for long. Not like that. Why, though? I mean, you kept going back, though. Why? I mean, you, well, you went to, you say that, but I mean, I, I hate to do this to you. He asked you the same question three times. You say no amount of money is worth 33 years. Absolutely. You went to jail 26 different times in six different countries on four different continents and escaped five times. Like I wanted to get home. Okay, well, let, you let, went, me, kept let me going back, that. though. All right. I When I got 35 years for yeah. marijuana yeah. and I got out after a short time and had 30 years of parole, and that means anytime you violate, they can give me all or part of that 30 years that was mm-hmm. left. Now then, you get Barry Seals, it comes, says, if you, and, and they, they, let me tell you about that. After I saw Reagan's blue eyes on the television, saying that the communist Sandinista government was in the cocaine running business, and there was Barry's airplane 
billed in on the runway in, in Nicaragua. I thought, uh-oh, and I'd heard Barry might have, have turned. So I got a phone call from Barry, and he said, I'm coming out tonight. He said, I'll meet you at a, a French restaurant there in, in Santa Barbara. I don't remember what it was. So I'd be there at 9 o'clock. So I came in, and Barry had gained weight, and he was back at the ball, and I looked around. There was about 20, 25 people in there, women with leather skirts on, all 30, 40 years old, men, blue jeans and jackets. And I, oh. and I went up, and Barry, uh, are you wired? And he said, no, I'm not. And I said, well, uh, are they all DEA? And he said, every one of them. And I said, well, please just tell me what what's going on. And he sat there, and he leaned back, and he started telling me how that how did it happen and how that he got left holding the bag, and he just put his hands between over his eyes and the tears ran down between his fingers. He said, "Roger, I just couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it. I was facing three life sentences, life sentence in each prison in state Florida, uh, I don't know where Louisiana and Arkansas." He said, "So I went to I got out on bail and I went to see Edwin Meese in Washington and I told him everything and I I've." testified before Congress, and I told him your part. And uh, and you testify with me, you can keep your money, you'll get a new passport, your family will live wherever you want to live. So he was one of the 11 people? He, no, he was, I think, 12. <laughs> this was after I'd already gone. So he says, but uh, you've got to do it. He said, I just couldn't do it. I'm so sorry. So he brought a, a, the guy said, well, bring your head honcho over. So it was a guy... I think he was a crop duster from Alabama named Jake Jacobson. He'd been in his pilot, the one that flew the one and a half tons up and uh, bellied it in. And he told me, you can come to Miami tomorrow and uh, testify before a grand jury. You can, you can come down first class with Mari or I'll take you down in chains. I said, well, I'll come down first class. <laughs> so I went down and I went to see one of the best lawyers, Gould, and his partner had been, been assassinated for representing a snitch. So I went to talk to him. I said, man, I've got to, got to say something. I don't know what I'm going to say. I, I can't, I'm not going to testify. He said, well, I don't represent snitches. And my face turned red. I said, I'm not a snitch. He said, well, that's what you're talking about. He said, let me tell you something. You go in that grand jury room, and if you don't tell them everything, and Barry's told them something different, you're going to get life. No matter one thing that you don't tell them. So... I went to the courthouse. I was supposed to meet Barry and to, to do it. So I was standing there, and they came up in the cavalcade and had Barry in between them and cars in front and back, and they stopped down there, and it was hot. And they was all looking out with their machine guns, looking out this way and that way, and I just reached up and hit the top of that car. Bam! I said, <laughs> they like to tour the inside of it. And I said, see how easy it would be? <laughs> so I said, fellas, I, I'm, I'm having trouble getting a lawyer. So... Uh, well, we and so he gave me a name of a lawyer or something. So that night I had uh, dinner with Mari in the La Festival restaurant, which was our fa favorite down in Carl Gables. And Barry and Debbie come in, and uh, while we were finishing up, so we had dessert together. And I hugged his neck. And I said, "Barry, they're gonna kill you, friend." No, no, not. So I fled to Brazil with Mari and the children. And in July they killed him. That was on my birthday, January nineteen eighty-five, I guess. Six months later, they killed him. They killed him, yeah. And you saw that coming? Of course, 100%. And if you would have, same thing would have happened to you? Well, if, if of course, they'd have killed me. But, I mean, I wasn't going to a halfway house every night. If I went and went to Portugal or something with my money and changed my name, I, and all this stuff flew over in a few years, it was, I would have been all right. But 
I didn't want to take the chance. I, because I, I didn't do it for that. I just, I'm just not a snitch. You just, you either are or you're not in your heart. They killed him for snitching. Yeah, absolutely. Very. 100%. The cartel? Yes. And you knew what your fate would be if you did the same thing as him? Well, yes. I'd, uh, but I, I, I did. I just, you could, I could have taken the money and went to Russia or somewhere and lived behind the Iron Curtain. They wouldn't have found me. Hmm. But I, I just didn't want to. It just wasn't me. It's just not me. It's just not to be telling somebody that I worked with, made a deal with, he's just a good person. How, how am I going to send him to prison for life and, and me sit outside? I, I mean, I don't want to go. You're in a terrible position, but. Uh, I would have I would have hid anywhere somewhere instead of doing that. Well, uh, um, what's the toughest question your kids asked you? Have they asked you a question where you were startled or no? Have they ever asked you a question where you totally were like, "Oh my God, that's the question I don't want to be asked." Okay, whenever uh, whenever I uh, went to Brazil, we got we changed the name from Reeves to Odom. That was my great grandfather's name, and the children was. And my little boy was just five years old, and we was two or three years with that. And anyhow, whenever we had to change it back to Reeves, I had to tell him, you know, your name is really Rhett Reeves. And he thought, what? And then it dawned on him. He remembered it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that was just something uh, uh, like like a question you have to tell them their real name. What's your relationship with your kids today? Oh, just wonderful. Just they just full of love, and they're how old now? Fifty six and forty seven and forty one. How how old are you? I'm uh, seventy nine. Seventy nine. January twenty six. I'll be uh, January twenty forty three. Forty three. Nineteen forty three. Same age as your dad. One no, it's year, not. one year younger. He's uh, they're a year apart. Yeah, my dad's yeah. forty two. Yeah, very interesting. Well, I mean, listen. I uh, uh, first of all, uh, what a story you've lived. Uh, we didn't even get into 90% of it on what we have. For folks who uh, want to know more, we're going to put the link below to your book, Smuggler. Uh, and uh, listen, this is you know stuff that we probably touched 5-10% of the book. Uh, if you want to learn more about it, you can go order the book. Um, I wish we had a couple more, more hours, man, because you're a great storyteller. You got a lot of uh, interesting stories that you're sharing with us. And I think there is more depth to it rather than just many of these stories that are entertaining. I think there's depth to it that have to do with character, with how to be a man, uh, fatherhood, relationships, decision making. I think there's more to it there as well. But I'll give you the final thoughts. The audience has listened to you for a couple hours. Um, what final thoughts do you have for them? Oh boy, ask me questions. I can do a whole lot better than if it come up on the thought. I have I have an idea of of, of prison reform that uh, particularly young people come in should be sentenced to a uh, to a trade, and I got a lot of flack over saying that, but uh, they should be. Instead, you're going to give them ten years or, or to make a plumber. So instead of going to jail, no, you go to jail and you go into a trade school in jail. Instead of you got ten years, buddy, but as soon as you are a class A plumber. You got a job at fifty bucks an hour. You walk out that door, and that would take a heap of a. Very interesting. Why would they not implement something like that? I feel like just, if you want to have productive members of society. Absolutely, and people say, "Well, yeah, do a crime, go get get an education," but those people are just going to sit there and slam their dominoes down for ten years for nothing and come out to do another crime. Right. It's just sad. Hmm. 
Why wouldn't they do though? Adam asked the question. I don't why? know. I don't. I don't think <laughs> they. Got I it. don't think they don't own them yet. And I'll just tell you that I, I have I have some good news about it. I signed a contract with Range Media Partners to make a series. Congratulations! So they working you. on it. Yeah, that's very cool. Very exciting. I mean, I'm sure. Uh, these stories, every story you're telling me, all I'm thinking about is a movie. I'm going to the scene, so I want to see it on the big picture myself uh, when these come out. Tyler, did you want to say something, or you unmuted yourself? Okay. Um, Roger, really enjoyed this. Thank you so Thank much you. for coming and being a guest on the, the podcast. Man, this been a great. pleasure. Yeah, so we don't have nothing this week, or we do? Do we have podcasts on Thursday? Podcast Thursday, yeah. Thursday? Yep. Yo, it's going to be a special one, so hang tight. We're going to have something special for you guys on Thursday. Take care, everybody. We'll see you there. Bye-bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Goodbye.